Welcome everyone to another AMA. Of course, I'm your host, uh, Sam here, VP of Programs at Launch Academy. Uh, alongside me today, we have uh, one of the OGs, really, um, at least mm -hmm. in the time that I worked with. We've known each other five plus years now, Alex, I, I believe, um, at least. Um, yeah. So I want to welcome Alex Benjamin. Um, want to just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. I think, it, I think it's eight years now, Sam. So um, I moved to Vancouver in 2015. I'm Australian. Thanks for to everyone who's, uh, who's logging in. Um, and, uh, you know, very pleased to be here in Canada eight years on. I've just become a Canadian citizen, which is, which is very cool. Um, yeah, as my bio, thank you. Thank you. As my bio pointed to, um, I've, I've, I've really built two startups over the last 10 years and certainly love the art of business. Um, began my career in professional services as a, as a trader, stockbroker from Macquarie Bank. Um, but also, you know, I've done a, it began in really a call center and made my way up from there into, uh, onto the trading floor. Um, and the reason why that's important is that I think like any experience you can get, you can draw on in your later on in your career is super helpful. And I often find myself today going back to those early days. Um, yeah. And then progressively wanted more out of my life personally and professionally and moved into, uh, trying to build the startup, which was very hard. Um, and then uh, moving abroad and coming to Canada was certainly a big opportunity for me, one that I grabbed with two hands. And if anyone out there is wanting to do to do that, um, you're on the right phone call today because I'd love to help you um, get over any anxieties or pressure or um, questions that any of you have to help you uh, to figure out like what's a what's a great path for you to come here. Take it back to you, Sam. Awesome, awesome. No, for sure. Just a quick bit of housekeeping from me. Uh, if you do have questions, we have a Q and A question, uh, part here. I know some of you also submitted questions yesterday on the AMA Slack channel. Uh, again, for for members that are listening in, um, so we will definitely get to those as well as we kind of just continue the conversation here. But yeah, Alex, so. like, where where were you originally from, and where where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Melbourne, in Australia, um, and I moved to Sydney actually in my early twenties and spent ten years in Sydney. Uh, I took a year off when traveling for a year um, and ended up working in Sri Lanka for three months as a, a well, as a business advisor in a um, not-for-profit organization that was established after the large tsunami. Um, Sri Lanka really taught, taught me a lot more about microfinance and I really got interested in small loans. So, you know, where the power of a hundred dollar loan to, you know, we traveled to the north of Sri Lanka with the army uh, through, um, you know, war-torn war Schlanker and saw uh, the power of just small, small gifts or loans that um, would help families, you know, build build income by selling, um, buying sewing machines and selling lace or curtains. Um, and it really got me thinking more about the sort of dual sided marketplaces of of you know what became my second startup, which is Lentil, a lending platform. But yeah, grew up in Melbourne, travelled a lot, and now live in Vancouver in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then was like, was that a common path for maybe your peers in school or whatever, like the path of entrepreneurship? Like what was no, your goal going into school? And I was a terrible student. So, um, I, I didn't do very well in high school. Um, subsequently learned I have uh, ADHD, but that, um, I think was well known to my friends and family. Um, but I, you know, I really, I, I was actually really good at organizing parties growing up. And I think, um, and my parents were heavily involved in music, in the music community, um, organizing 
events. And I just started to, I, I really got a sense of like, you know, putting out the drinks, organizing the food, setting a date, um, setting out invitations, having a guest speaker, having musicians, um, having great music. It's not all that dissimilar to running a business. And I really enjoyed aspects of and attributes of that. And I think um, if you can do that, I often say, I think you can be a CEO of a company. And so um, I did want to have a go at running a company, but out of the, you know, the community I was in, it was often like this, this short path of, you know, got to work your way up a corporate ladder. Um, no one was really jumping off to run their own businesses. And what typically happens over time is you just stay closer to people like you. And so it was very hard for me to really think outside that. But deep down, I really, I really felt the drive to build my own business and, and run my own company. Um, so I actually had to take a really big risk at one point, which was go back to zero income to try to build my own company. Um, and that's really this kind of, there's, there's two ways to do it, you know, build it from the side of your desk. Or three ways, I should say, raise money before you leave your business or, you know, you leave your employment to do that. And that's, that's what ended up happening to me. And, and like, how would you say that, that jump of going from income to zero income compares to like, you know, later on, and obviously we're fast forwarding the story a little bit of, of you kind of leaving your family, you know, you know, your, your relatives, yeah. your, yeah. your network in Australia and coming to, to Vancouver, like how would you kind of compare those two jobs? Um, each time I've kind of thought about like, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? And really like I, I felt when I came here, we didn't have nowhere to get accommodation in Vancouver. My wife is Canadian. So I'd bet she was then my girlfriend. And so it made it easier coming here. I won't, I won't, um, that's, that's important to understand. However, it was still very difficult entering the, you know, entering the country. The, the startup visa program was was really the savior and the way that I met I moved here. Um, the the realization for me though was I could always just pack my bags and book a ticket and fly home. And if that was the worst thing that was going to happen to me, um, then I then I felt like that was something that was easy to to manage. I I really had no idea whether you know I'd last six weeks, six months, or six years. Um, but what I what I think defines me a little bit is just I have a very high drive, very motivated for outcomes and I really, really, really wanted it, you know, and I would do anything to really to make it work. And I think that's sort of the unfair unfair advantage of moving abroad in building a business is compared to um somebody who already lives here. I just have this I had this higher drive of I've got to survive and I want to make this work. And um and you don't actually realize it until you're in it as to what an actual advantage it is, even though it feels like a disadvantage. Putting yourself in in a setup where you're you're under a lot of pressure, um, that you don't want to fly home. You know, you want to you want to come back on a holiday saying, I made it. <laughs> um, I uh I wait for it. But again, it's it's very different, you know. Um psychologically and there's many different things that factor whether you have access to capital money um you might have access to some family support i had saved money i had some assets like a house so i had a backstop um in some ways but it was still you know would have been painful for me had it not worked out but um i didn't want to resort to those things i i i um that's important to know because if you're sitting out there comparing yourself to me like how do you do this you do need to have a bit of a buffer, I think, you know, um, 
twenty, thirty thousand dollars, perhaps ten thousand dollars. I don't know. Whatever you need to in the bank back home. Like if this wasn't going to work out, it's okay that you you would come back. You wouldn't be completely um, down and out. Just just my my perspective. For sure, for sure. And I feel like a, a lot of companies and founders that are listening can can really resonate with that. Um, but with your own kind of startup visa experience, like at the time, like I. I don't, I don't want to answer this for you, but like, I don't think anybody was really doing startup visa, like a long no, I, I think right? Like it was kind of like this new thing. It was, uh-huh. yeah. I was, I think I was the third recipient of the startup visa. And when I landed at immigration, I mean, I'd been on a 17 hour flight and I got there at, I'd say, I think they were like, they chaperoned me off to the side to go through to the um, customs area to, to speak to a, uh, I guess the border, border, border um, entry staff. Um, and they were like, oh, what's, what's, what's this? And I had the paperwork printed out and they're like, we don't know anything about this program. And I was like, what? You know, um, and because we're in Pacific time, immigration's head office is in Ottawa. So three hours ahead, it was quarter to two here. So it was quarter to five there. And the lady's like, let me just, does anyone know in, in, in the team, does anyone know what this is? The startup visa, no one had any idea. Um, and I was like, oh no, oh no. Um, they're like, I think we, I think you were meant to fill this out before you came. And I was like, no, I was specifically told I've got to do this here. That's when the, st- the, the perspiration started appearing on my forehead. And, um, I was like, okay, I, what does this mean? So they called, uh, they called a colleague in Ottawa and, um, and the lady there who answered the phone was like, look, I'm just about to leave in about 15, 20 minutes, but I can help you. And she said, no, no we know all about this program. The no, we haven't actually rolled out the education yet to any of our um to to all of our border entry staff. Um, and that's coming in the next two weeks. So they learned on the spot. They went on Google and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, we can see it. And and it was like we just did it on the spot. And then they gave me a six month they gave me a six month working visa into Canada, um, which was a huge relief because I I didn't know what was going to happen. But um. The amazing thing about the startup visa program at that time, and it might have changed now, is that it allowed me to apply for permanent residency right away. So I, they basically said, well, you know, if you if you if your startup doesn't work, you we we would still love you to have the ability to stay in Canada and you know at least cross or try and take get a job of some sort. So you know, I um, I did the. Just for what it's worth, I did the application myself. I didn't use a lawyer. The paperwork was actually very straightforward. They have a great checklist. I used the checklist to uh, walk through each step. Um, and, you know, I put my pack together pretty quickly and I, I, I sent it off by, you know, registered post to, to, um, to Ottawa and I got my PR in six weeks. So I, um, it took a huge, but I was trying to raise money at the same time. So I'd come home at night and I was like, I've been 12 hour day. I'd sit down. I'm like, I've got to do this application. I've got to get it in, you know, and just there's always the small things just lingering that you need a, need somebody to vet in your photographs, et cetera. Um, so I got that off and, you know, once it was done, it just, it just, you know, it made me, it made me very happy and, and, uh, meant that I could just get on with building the company and focus. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think that resonates with everybody because, uh, obviously when the, at the end of a 12 year work, 12, 12 hour work day, the last thing you want to do is fill out more paperwork. Um, so, so that's everybody's favorite thing to do. I think, I think, I think everybody's in shock and awe right now. 
Well, I think I think the uh, the six weeks application date. Sorry, cut you off. Yeah, well, well, no, 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 and I, I think it's because they they were very. I mean, the government here is very entrepreneurial in the sense of they're really pushing to bring in um, talent into Canada. Um, it's very progressive on that front. I feel I don't have any other perspective as to what it's like in the US. I know Australia is probably behind this in in many ways, um, but Canada's, in my own experience, very warm and welcoming and. Um, it has a very good sa- safety net, social net. Um, it has higher taxes, but that's obviously for a reason, so that it can support everyone in the community, uh, which I personally like. And um, and I think, uh, what was I going to say? Um, the important thing on the legal fees is, you know, you can end up talking to lawyers, and it can cost you a lot of money because they're charging four or five hundred an hour. That might make sense to do. Um, especially if English is not your first language and it can be challenging to understand exactly what you're working through. So, you know, you might need to budget five or seven or $10,000 to to get help. But I think first things first, there's a lot of information online. I would, you know, lean on guys like Launch Academy to say like, could you help me navigate the paperwork um, before you, you know, rush off to spend any money on on lawyers. and with lawyers too, you can always say, look, I've just got a budget of $2,000. What can you give me? And often they might say, well, look, we'll help you out and we'll give you in a couple of hours of time to answer any questions you've got. Yeah. Always negotiating. <laughs> Drop that bomb. Um, yeah, I, I think the biggest, biggest really difference from, from your experience to now is, is definitely the, the processing times. They've, they've lengthened quite a bit, right, to say the least. Um, and I think kind of digging into, to, you know, that times when you're spent, when you were kind of dual tasking for lack of a better term, when you're, you know, trying to build out this business and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the, the business was, was in ideation, right? Like, was it, was it already pre-built or was it? No, it was in ideation. It was ideation. Um, yeah. At the time I had to secure, you know, financing from a, um, registered, uh, startup visa VC. Um, and so, but we, we started working on it pre me moving to Canada. Um, and you know, I was working on it and I, I basically got an MBA, if you will, in FinTech in sort of a two month period where I went all in, Mm -hmm. did a ton of customer discovery. You know, I was, I think, um, I did about 185 reach outs to VP, VP level sales and marketing folks at other FinTechs around the world. So I was chatting to. On LinkedIn, um, cold cold calling basically via email, and um, one person would help me find the next person, and I would literally write to people. Um, and again, many of you probably tried this, but uh, I get these emails occasionally, and I try to help out. But it's really just high volume of trying to get data on my, my customer acquisition cost assumptions and lifetime value assumptions, and then really lessons learned from other people who've been there before me um, because customer acquisition is everything. You know, if you haven't got revenue, um, it only lasts you so long until you need to be explaining, you know, without, without it, unless it's like frontier, frontier AI, you know, where people are like, you know, VCs right now are investing in, um, in the dream, you know, it's harder and harder to, to raise capital without proof of, of demand. So I had to really, I had to really, really prove that out. And without a functioning website or a business, what I needed was, was just other people's experiences to triangulate 
with what I thought would happen in Canada. And that allowed me to then say, look, I have a high level of conviction here to say this works in, you know, the US, New Zealand, Australia, UK, France. I think it will work here. I got agreements from my investors and away we went. Hello, fellow tech startup founders. I just want to quickly interrupt this episode to tell you about us at launch. If you're looking for a community to help you take your business to the next level, consider joining our Launchpad program. As a member, you'll get access to investor connections, programming, workshops, mentorship, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes, for expert advice and stories from the tech community in Vancouver and around the world. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more and start building your dream business today. That's launchacademy.ca. Let me take a moment to shout out our longtime sponsor, Smythe. They are a leading independent VC-based accounting firm specializing in providing financial services and consulting for tech companies across North America. Smythe has supported our program and our alumni throughout their early growth stages by helping them structure and set up their businesses, all the way to helping more established businesses with cross-border operations and M&A. They combine industry knowledge with a proactive, collaborative approach, empowering you to make more informed decisions as your business grows. So if you're looking for a trusted partner to help you drive your business to success, reach out to one of our Launch Academy's longtime mentors, Camelia Ho, for more information about how Smythe can support your growth. You can find Camelia's information on Smythe's website at smythecpa.com, that's S-M-Y-T-H-E-C-P-A.com, along with more information about the various industries they support and the services they provide. And then to kind of, to kind of try and paint that picture a little bit, like, mm. like, during that time, you're you're taking on a couple of massive different things, right? Like the the product is being built, and and you know you did have you had to have some technical folks that you were working with that was building that MVP, building that initial product. Um, you're in a new country, and there's there's definitely anxiety and uncertainty with that. Yeah. Right? Being in a new yeah. place, didn't make the wrong decision. I haven't heard back from from the government yet. Like my status is like obviously you have the working permit, but it, it's uncertain, right? Um, and then, and then on top of that, you're, you're going out and you're trying to get customers for this new yep. venture that, that yep. you're building. Um, all these things are big things on their own, right? Like people immigrate, people build businesses, people build products, like, but separately, generally speaking, not all at once. And so, so my question is kind of how, how did you navigate through that? Both, both like from a personal level, like mentally. And like knowing that, that you have to build and, and actually finding eventual success with it. Right. And, and yeah, great question. That's what people need to hear here. I had nothing to lose. You know, I think that's the, again, you talk about an unfair advantage moving to a new country. I don't know any, you know, I didn't know anyone here. Like I, I had no biases. I had less biases, I should say. Um, I, I was very thankful that people, um, expressed my thanks for their generosity to help me out. But what I found is like, I was very real around my vulnerability of like, I'm in a, I'm in a tough place. I'm trying to build this business. I've made some assumptions. I don't know if they're accurate. Um, could you share your experiences? And just this won't take a long time. I'm not trying to book people for a half hour call. I'm saying, have you got five or 10 minutes for a quick chat? Let's just jump straight to it. I need to, I need to work this out. What I found is people were like, wow, this, this guy is like, got energy you know he's he, he's going for it and um they would often give me this feedback of like do you want to come and work with us you know and i'd be like no i'm trying to build my own thing and and they really appreciated the fact that i had the you know whether we use the word hustle or just the drive um 
people, it, it, it energized other people, my energy to go for it. Um, so back to your question on, yeah, there were many balls in the air. I still didn't really have my, like in my mind, I was like, I treated this as a project. It wasn't my, it didn't, it felt like my whole life. My wife now, then girlfriend would say, this is all you talked about. And it did consume me completely um, because my identity was getting wrapped up in this. I, you know, I told all my friends and family, this is what I was doing. I was so proud of it. And you, you really need that, um, those ingredients for success because, you know, you roll in, you know, I wasn't putting one foot in and one foot out and like, maybe I'm going to do this. And I had tight deadlines. I was like, I want this to work in, in no time. Um, the last part I'd add is surrounding yourself with people who are better than you and make you feel the pain or make you at least realize like your business mortality is really it was it also a key key ingredient i had a very active investors who who were like look this is not good enough this isn't good enough this isn't good enough this isn't good enough you know we would we would rehearse our pitches um customer you know talking to customers talking to partners talking to capital um all the time all the time it was like i'd rather fail on practice day than fail on game day you know and that's that's a sort of a sporting analogy and i'm not much of a sports person but but it really felt that way of like I, I, the presentation, what happens in the presentation is the presentation. So if I'm up there fumbling and the slides aren't working and I'm apologizing, that's what people are going to remember. And so I just wanted to walk in and feel I've rehearsed this 200 times. I'm now ready to go, you know, and I had my flow. Um, so I'll recap. It's, it's, um, it is really good. Uh, you know, it's very, very key to have a good group of people around you. I, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I treated it like a project. Um, and it was like, I have a defined period of time. I really want to make this work. But that was in my head about six months, six to nine months. Um, yeah. And then within those six to nine months or even that first year, like, Again, coming from ideation, how, how much was built? Like, when did you land your first customer? When was the, the product, I guess, initially we, released, whether on beta or otherwise? Like, I'm just trying to kind of question. really paint that picture. I know we're going we, back at yesteryear a little bit, but, but no, I was just running to still very vivid. Um, so give me two perspectives. My first startup, I probably spent nine months making sure my website was perfect. Second business, Lenful, was probably four to, I don't know. 10 hours on a website, that was it. We had a landing page and a, an inquiry box. I just wanted, I didn't want to, I needed to get out there and speak to people and find out like why would, so, so the product, just for what you know, is we were lending money. We, we had the hypothesis that people wanted to borrow money online, five to $35,000. Um, and we, we had to get out there and find, would people borrow this money? And not only would people borrow money, would they borrow it at the interest rate we could afford to lend them lend them the money at? So I had this, it's very diff difficult in fintech with lending businesses because you actually have to have, your product is not, you're not selling um, pens, you're selling cash, capital. So you actually have to physically have 20 grand to give to somebody to lend it to them. Um, so I actually had the job of raising debt and raising a debt facility. So I had fresh cash to give to somebody when they applied. But then I also needed to raise equity capital to run our company. Um, and actually, the two of them are very hard to do. 
Um, so, so with the customer as well, like I, I really needed these customer interactions to prove to the debt that there was demand there and to investors on the equity side to say, there are 100 or 200 people that want this and I've got a wait list ready that when we're ready to offer them money, they would probably take it from us. And that's what got people very excited. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and just super quick slide in there. How did you, how did you acquire customers and how did you get the, the license yeah, so, in the first place? So, so we built these hypotheses around customer acquisition. We basically, I, I met, um, in the U S, uh, the former chief marketing officer of Prosper, Brad Lensing. Um, I went to a conference, met him there. I just said, you know, tell me about customer acquisition. Um, uh, triangulating this with conversations with other marketing managers, we basically worked out that most most fintechs were using offline, so they would do uh, letterbox drops. They would get databases from Equifax and TransUnion on credit scores, so even they were as granular as street address streets in different postcodes. Um, so they would letterbox people, you know, offers to borrow money, like a two hundred dollar credit. Um, so they'd run promotions. Um, some did radio, some did television, some did digital marketing. Um, the issue that we found, you know, we always heard about digital marketing is everyone wants to borrow money and the people who are applying online are not necessarily people you want to lend to. However, we still needed caches of data to sort of review and analyze those, those applications. And then probably the fourth or fifth major one was partnerships, which is the way that we actually went about, um, building out our businesses, we partnered with mortgage brokers. And what we learned out of Australia actually is that if mortgage brokers had access to personal loans or consumer loans, they were able to con- convert 5 to 10% more mortgage because they're getting you know, people in their 20s with credit card debt refinancing into personal loans um, and that would help them build up credit because they're paying off a, a, a principal balance, not just servicing a line of credit all the time. Credit scores would increase, and they would then get to a point where they were able to secure a prime mortgage from a bank. Um, and so we shut down all these other verticals. We were trying. We tested them initially. We spent like two months just testing out what does direct mail do, what does um, what do digital ad, you know digital campaigns do for us, and what does what do the mortgage brokers in a partnership setting do for us. We just kept getting the best customers out of mortgage brokers and we basically said we're not going to spend any more money on the the other two. Even though fintech is like all digital, we need to build a digital experience for mortgage brokers. Um, and we got the best quality borrowers out of that channel who repaid their money. Um, very low bad debts. And um, you know, that that allowed me to secure that $15 million debt facility is having that channel channel lockdown you know we could just show we had hundreds of load applications every week and every bank and every lender was like we want that we want access to that and then the resolve the license issue so at that time there were no the fintech was largely unregulated but lending was in some provinces regulated um but the two biggest ones at the time ontario and bc they were we did not need a license um I did go and see the Securities Commission here um, and in Ontario and told them what I was doing. They were like, no problems. Um, you just need to tick the boxes for consumer protection. And really the main issue with consumer protection is disclosure. You know, people understanding what they're getting into, 
Can they get out of the loan agreement? Can they repay early? What's the total interest amount? So I'm getting to fintech related stuff here, but that's look, the licensing came later on and we we handled that with just um I like my I knew how to do my PR application. I just downloaded the paperwork, shilled it out, submitted my application, compete, you know, consistently followed them up, and then our licenses came through. And then with Landfall, like was your primary customer other businesses or or is it personal personal loans or a mix? So, so our primary customer was like, it was a B2B relationship that we, what I did is I went to, ended up going to one mortgage broker and then they got me into a partnership with mortgage brokers. So we partnered, partnered with M3 mortgage brokers and under M3, we had access to about 12 and a half thousand mortgage brokers. So I immediately got this way, you know, much purer access to like, um, much higher conversion rate. So when it, whenever we would, um, throw out promotions to the mortgage brokers, they would, uh, they would be able to bring me great customers um, who converted. And so we went from, I think, about an 18% conversion rate, top of funnel to bottom of funnel. I think by the time I sold the business and beyond, I subsequently heard, you know, it's probably closer to 70 or 80% now. You just get better and better over time of bringing in the right customer who wants to purchase your product and you don't actually, yeah. you're not actually ingesting at the top customers who have no interest in you or, or are the wrong yeah. type of borrower. Yeah. Um, and another quick question is how did you kind of land these types of partnerships where the referrals from investors or something else? Uh, I literally door knocked. Like I, I, um, I, um, I had a very strong value proposition with, with the credit piece. And so I basically had it drawn as a, you know, on a piece of paper. Um, and I'll just show you guys here. Like I, I basically was like trying to describe the value map, you know, so like really just a, you know, an X, Y chart. And, and what we started to understand was that, um, you know, credit score, people, people sort of like the simplicity of it. Um, and we basically had, um, you know, cost of borrowing up here and the credit score down here and if you're paying you know let's call it 40 percent for money up here you've got a low credit score and that's like payday lending and then over here was basically the banks who do personal loans up to say 10 percent interest rates so you got 40 percent up here 10 percent down here what we just kept seeing is there's no there's no one in the, there's a gap here in the market and that was traditionally the bank of mum and dad it was you know, borrowing from friends and family and Lenful became, you know, I, I shouldn't just say, you know, there's nothing filling this space. What, what was actually filling this space is 22.99% credit cards, you know? And so they, the bank would say, you're too hard to underwrite. We can't give you a 10% loan, go get a payday loan from the, you know, 40% interest rate, or here's a 23% interest rate credit card. And we just realized that's our market that we're going after. You know, it's a massive multi-billion dollar market. We just said we can be 25% cheaper than a credit card and we ended up, you know, offering money basically between 7 and 20% interest rates. Yeah. And so when people would see a chart like that, they're like, that makes total sense. I understand my kids can't get this or I I was in that position. And so it really resonated with people on a painful problem. And that's what I think is really the last part is just if you can show how painful this is, anecdotes, um, from your customer discovery and talking to hundreds of people, even doing surveys, 
you will find interesting insights that will really resonate with with investors and partners. Yeah. And tying in the the fintech with the personal side, like obviously I'm looking around the room, there's there's a lot of newcomers to Canada, there's a lot of international businesses and and a big struggle is getting that initial not even funding, but just like bank accounts, yep. credit cards, they don't have a credit history here in Canada. Um, like, did you ever deal with that personally from, from the lending side and, and like what kind of, yeah. it could be your personal experience, it could be your customers. What kind of options do they have as they kind of grow that credit score and grow, you know, borrow that money to, to run their businesses? Great question. Um, it's all about building trust, you know, so a lot of the banks will have new, new entrant, new, new migrant programs that you can, you know, the big four banks, you can go, I, I bank with CIBC, I arrived and they, they basically gave me a, um, a checking account with a card. I put some money in it and then they extend me, I think a credit card with a thousand dollar limit on it. Um, and all of this is about using that card regularly so they can collect data on me to evaluate whether I'm, I pay back. And just over time, my credit limit went up went to $5,000. I kept using it for, you know, just regular purchases and I would just pay it, pay it back each time on time. And all that does is just creates all of these data points for Equifax and TransUnion, the credit bureaus to basically give me, you know, they see the it's all behavioral based. If you don't pay back, it hurts your score. If you pay back, it helps. So I think those things are pretty much dialed by the big banks. Um, but the more th- the more you can do to establish trust, and that's, um, yeah, get to know a banker or get to know an accountant or get to know somebody. Um, it can just help you in verifying who you are. These are not natural things for everyone. I appreciate, um, but but you can yeah, you can just think of ways that that might help you immerse yourself in the community more. Like Launch Academy has such a great community come along to events, get to know people, um, ask other people for how did they solve this or how did they do that? Do they have anyone that they could recommend? Yeah. And, and obviously if we flash forward, like the Lenful is eventually sold off, but is there, is that something that companies can, can ap- approach in terms of lending money or getting loans from services like Lenful today? Um, if they're new businesses in Canada? Um, the. I'm not sure what their credit criteria are now. There are definitely people that, you know, you might be able to secure financing from. Um, what I'd say is, you know, most people look at it like, would you lend money to somebody you didn't know? And, and what do you like to see? Have they got a pay stub? Have they got a job or have they been able to put some money in a bank account? Um, there might be options out there. They may not always be like the best options. They could be very expensive. They're just trying to understand who are you? Are they going to get their money back? I did, I did find that hard with some investors saying, well, if it doesn't work, will you just like jump on a plane and leave? Um, and I was like, oh no, hell no, you know, I'm a PR, I'm here now. Um, and, uh, you know, some people got comfortable with that. Others were like, ah, oh, you know, so I think that I, I really made that known that I was here, that I was staying, you know, and, um, yeah, it's important to think about those things. You can't yeah, please everyone. Sure. And. And obviously, as I alluded to, like your time with Lenful closed, you sold the company, like, and we kind of talked a lot about like the beginning and the start of it, right? Like this was, this was your identity for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, 
could you walk us kind of through that decision making of ultimately like obvi- obviously there there's benefits to selling the company we don't yep. you know we can talk about that a little bit if you want but but i also understand that you know in those decisions it's not just you know numbers and checks right like it's it's it can yeah, be it's very emotional there's decisions on both sides yeah and it wasn't an easy easy decision it wasn't necessarily the outcome that i like had dreamt of um it was still a great outcome for this you know for, for where we were at um but it's also it's so full on you know three four five years of just really 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 giving it everything you 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 do look at like how much is enough where am i at um what are the what are the likelihood of of what's the likelihood of this still going on without the bigger support of a bigger balance sheet and a bigger um a bigger machine we needed money all the time the thing i talked about before is we constantly needed more debt to keep selling product right so if you if you're a fintech doing thirty thousand dollar loans you can quickly eat up a hundred two hundred million dollars you know, and that's that. Then you're like, okay, where does that keep coming from? To be able to lend it at ten or fifteen percent, how am I getting cheap capital? It's going to be from a bank with deposits, and that's who we 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 sold to a sort of a second tier bank called People's Group, People's Trust. Um, but I think you know, the startup world is very much geared around press releases and excitement. Like, look at me, this is what's happening. This is amazing for our company, and. I was definitely caught up in a bit of that. I think um, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't, um, because you know it is a, it, it is such a big part of your identity, and it's so hard that I was very proud of what I'd built and what I'd created. So when when we sold, um, it took me it took me quite a while to like you know um, reconcile some elements of that, but I was also very happy and excited for what was to come next. But I didn't want to just like close the door and start business number three the next day you know i needed time to really sit with it and just just let the dust settle um and and give it enough you know give it time to think about what do i really want to do next which you know i can touch on what i went on to but it didn't it didn't it didn't arrive, it didn't land with me immediately as to what i wanted to do what i what i know i didn't want to have to do was swim upstream every day constantly raising capital and um as um one advice would you give to someone who's kind of in a similar situation where they've been building something for a while maybe they see the the potential is capped or at a certain part yep. or they feel they're not the right person to take it to to the next level um like what kind of things would you kind of go through as you're evaluating those types of decisions i i i got a really good coach like I got a really good coach that helped me, you know, and my wife is very good at this too, of just defining my values. What do I value? Um, so if you come back to like your business strategy, what is your personal strategy in life? And um, for me, it's very much now those, those values have evolved over time. I have a four-year-old son. Um, I'm married. Um, I'm thinking about other things than I was 10 years ago is the point. But if you can be very clear on what you value, and that that could be, I like a lot of professional freedom. I don't want to be thinking about money all the time, so I have enough. I like being with my family. I want to have dinner every day with them at five thirty. I want to drop my my kids at school. What is that lifestyle that you want? This is just it's a very personal thing, and I think if you look online of like how to define values, there's probably lots of different lessons on how to do this. I think that 
yeah, I came back to like, what, what did I value and what kind of, what did I want personally and professionally? Um, and it took me, I'm still working it out. I'm now 42. So, um, I did, I, I moved to Canada when I was 33, I think, or 34. Not your common time to be like jumping into a startup. A lot of people were like starting families at the time. I had not done that. Um, I definitely wanted professional fulfillment more than I'd ever wanted anything else. And the startup was that. But I think, yeah, come, come back to your values, come back to like what matters to you. And, um, and it should be ideally three to five things. And then you can look at the, the business and where you're at and say, does this match what I really value? It's fair. And that, um, that kind of lands us to, to your company today, uh, for a capital launch. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about that before I, I know I have a couple of investment questions sitting here. Um, yeah, for sure. to kind of introduce that a little bit. Yeah. So I went, I went through the process of basically saying like, what am I excellent at? What am I great at? Um, do I want to do another startup? Um, I looked heavily at building Afterpay, which is sort of a buy now, pay, la- pay later platform in 2018, 2019. It was very popular in Australia, Australia at the time. Um, and I, you know, I met with, I met with a lot of big companies in Canada. Actually, I met with Lululemon, um, Aritzia, several other sort of consumer retail businesses to think about building out another startup. But I kept coming into these things all take immense amount of money to really make them fly. Um, and at the time I met Wes, my now business partner, he was also had worked at the same bank that I had, um, but he was looking at what does he want to do? And we, we floated the idea of buying a, an existing business together. So buy it a hundred percent, um, and co-running it. So taking all the skill and all the lesson lessons out of customer discovery into a business where perhaps that hadn't been happening, you know, it just existed, but, but it's also very profitable, you know, that it makes great amount of money, um, that, that we could develop more of an income stream from our investments, but that would allow me to then fund startup investments, which I personally do on my own, not through 4A. Um, and so we, we, we set about buying several businesses. We've actually acquired, um, Two, two major businesses, one in the clean tech space and one in the IT services space. And then we've rolled up uh, a smaller one under the IT space. So we, we, we did that deal last year in November and uh, we're just continuing to look for good opportunities locally that we can buy that really meet our investment criteria now. Um, on the personal space, you know, I, I mentioned here that uh, I'm an investor in five different startups. And that's really come out of building great relationships with the founders and the entrepreneurs themselves where they've needed some help. We've got to know each other. And then they've, they've said, you know, I'm doing a round. Would you like to participate? And at that time, it's made sense. Um, I've also got a really deep network here in Vancouver of other investors that I've either raised money for, from or I've pitched to that said no to me. But I know that they've gone on and then they, they are active investors. That is that's very unique about Vancouver and I don't have many other reference points for other cities, but there is a very, very, very active angel community here. Um, and they, they've seen hundreds of businesses. And so if anything, what you would get is a coffee and a meeting and an opportunity to present your business to a lot of folks, um, who've got a depth of knowledge, who are business owners themselves, build things. Um, even if they say no, they'll teach you something. So I think there's a, there's a couple of questions that, that kind of 
you touched on a little bit and want to dive a little bit deeper into. I guess the first one is for for Foray itself. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say your focus is more on acquiring the companies or or more yes, on the Europe? You're a part of a seed round or, or even pre seed, whatever it is. So we yeah we will acquire them or invest in becoming a majority shareholder. So these are guys, you know, we're buying businesses that are established, that, that are running, that um, people want an exit or they, um, they're looking for to take a, you know, a major amount of money off the table um, for us to come in and help them run the business. And so it's quite different to the startup world where, you know, somebody's doing a seed round, raising half a million dollars or a million bucks. That I do more personally where I'm, I, I look at a lot of deals and say, okay, does that, does that interest me? And um, I'll look to either participate or I won't. Gotcha. And then is there any, like, cause I noticed like you, you made two reference points, a, a health tech company, I think clean tech, sorry. Clean tech. Um, and, and also a services company. So, so like, it's really interesting because it's not, it's not the typical like VC hat yep. or investor hat where, where you're going after. So obviously a services company, the, the benefit is it has as recurring income, right? Yes. Versus a product that's not built or whatnot. Right. So, so can we I mean, talk I, a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the thing that's unique about me is I'm, I'm, I guess I'm sector agnostic. Like I, I really look at it as who is in it and, um, what a, is it a defensible business model that will continue to, you know, to generate income? And that is one of the things I value right now is I value a lot of uh, autonomy and flexibility. So if I come back to my personal values, um, and so out of these investments where the driver is, sustainable margins they're very profitable you know they, they have very diverse customer bases and um they're they, they have enduring profitability so some of you might have heard like of the traditional search fund model where people will raise capital and go out and buy an operating company and run it a lot of mba grads do that um we 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 did that, but we did that with our own capital we went out and just bought we found a business that ticked a lot of business you know a lot of boxes we looked at, we've looked at many, many different companies. Um, and so we found something that we, we found two that we, we really liked that has really good tailwinds. Um, but we're not going after huge, huge valuations. This is more about cash flow generation at a, as part of my portfolio. So that's like the hat I wear, but I, I'm diverse. I, I look at startups a ton, coach, um, I make active listed investments, property. Um, so 4A is just one of the, one of my, uh, revenue acquisition channels, if you will. Gotcha. And then on the on the angel investing side, like I think that's a really interesting topic that over time I think we're going to have sure. to bring more speakers in because because we we definitely have our fair share of VCs who come in and they have a different uh, different investment theses and and so yep. on and so forth. But with angels, because a lot of times they're they're individuals, um, it's harder from from a founder perspective to be like really really go after a certain angel unless they're like super prominent or whatever right but like yep. you say there's there's hundreds of them um the, the way wearing we- kind of both your hat yeah wearing both your hats is, is like a founder and yeah. an investor like how does a founder kind of go and and kind of understand that landscape well I will. i'll go to the landscape in one second what i'd say the easiest way to win yeah. is proof pro- more proof more proof people want what you've got i think um the, the more you have more evidence that people are, you, that you're so, solving a very painful problem. If this is your like 
dream idea that you think is like, oh, I haven't really, I've been thinking about this so much and I, yeah, all my friends and family really like it. You need, you, you need a lot more than that to like get people excited. If you want it, you will secure capital if you have a great idea that there's a lot of demand for that you can show that there's revenue for. I think very rarely there are, there are venture investors out that are investing in the pipe dream of, of, um, a massive, you know, market takeout that you can dominate and own a space. And so there are people doing that, but that's not every business model. Um, and so the more you can get to revenue quickly and demonstrate, look, I've got a hundred people, I've got 50 people already buying this product. I've made it, I've made iterations. I, um, I'm, you know, these people are engaged. There's low churn. You're solving a real problem. You'll almost actually not need the angel checks. You'll almost be like, look, we've got 20, 30 grand rolling in, um, perhaps every quarter, every month. I'm now toying with the idea of, uh, raising capital. Um, and then that's going to, that's going to create an edge where, where you're different to many other, many other early stage ideas where people are like, you know, um, I'm not sure if this will work. And the investor will be saying, I'm not sure if this will work. You know, I've got two other ones that are already making money that I can throw a check at for the same valuation. I might, uh, I'd rather do that. So I think that, yeah. And sorry, Sam, the, the point that you asked me was, um, which I said I'd come back to. What was it? Um, just talking about the, the landscape of, of oh, the how to kind of leverage angels and, and because like you said, if, if you have enough proof points, like you can go for a larger round or something like, but what's the kind of ideal like partnerships with, with specific angels and how to kind of leverage them, especially your own experience on both sides. Um, get a bunch of names, you know, get a bunch of names together, either from someone like me, write to me, find me on LinkedIn. Um, happy to throw my email up here in the chat. Um, if you want to drop me a line and say, um, you know, are there, are there a bunch of names or websites I should look at and then apply, you know, drop them an inquiry and say like, have you got a, your investment criteria that you could share? Um, you can also look at press releases of in the Vancouver market or whichever city you land in and just say like early stage startups that have raised capital in the last 12 to 24 months and see who the investors were. Find them, reach out to them and say, look, I'm early stage. I'd like to, I know you've invested in this company. Are you investing right now? But I think one of, one of the things I do see happen too much is that people don't it, sorry, the startup entrepreneur does not diligence the investors well enough. They often just walk into the room and just go, hi, oh, this is my business. They pitch it and they walk out. And I'm like, what just happened? Um, you know, they've found me because they're like, hey, I know that you've raised debt before or they, you've raised equity. I'm building a fintech. Therefore, could you help me? And then they wait for a response. They don't just jump into the pitch. Hi, here's my problem. Here's my solution. Here's the product, here's the team, here's the traction. A lot of the time people see and they go, whoa, 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 you're talking to the wrong guy. You know, you haven't even found out whether I'm, I'm an investor or not. Am I investing right now? And I think that's one of the things you can do really well if you want to differentiate yourself is start off with one or two sentences. Don't like tell them the whole story. Reach out to these names and say, hi, I'm a, I'm a early stage entrepreneur. I'm looking to raise capital. Are you guys investing at the moment in the current climate? Thanks in advance. You know, Alex, see what comes back. Come with like, that's so thoughtful. Thanks for asking. We're not actually investing right now. 
but when we are, I'd love you to write to me. Or, you know, um, yeah, don't, don't, um, don't go too deep, like learn a little bit first of like, what are the investors doing? Because right now it's a tricky market and a lot of investors are holding back. And I think you can differentiate by empathizing and go, I know it's a tough time investing wise. There's people that have invested that have lost a lot of money in the last couple of years because valuations have come off a ton. So, you know, um, inquire if you get permission to proceed then say, look, could I send you a deck or could we set up a call? How do you like to run the investment process? And let them tell you what to do. Just my recommendation. Mm-hmm. And then I, I feel like we've definitely talked about this a little in the past, but obviously new audience, so I'll ask it again. Um, I feel like a, a fear of these emails is, is, I think ultimately it's a fear of rejection, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get ghosted or you get a response to say, no, I'm not, I'm not investing right now or whatever. And it might be someone like, I really wanted Alex to be my angel. Right. For, for reasons A, B, C, D, E. But I don't want to burn that chance with like not the perfect email that doesn't get that response. Um, what kind of recommendations? I, I feel like personally, it might be in the entrepreneur's head a little bit, but, but yeah, I want to kind of hear your response to that. It's, it's, it's really a volume game and repeat, repeat, repeat. I, I mean, I had to ask six times the same guy who ended up giving me the term sheet for the debt facility. Um, it's, it's your relentless pursuit of what you want. Hi, I wrote to you last week. Can't get hold of you. Uh, is there a better medium to connect on? If I wanted to speak to you, what's the most appropriate way for me to connect with you? Do you take cold, ask somebody, do you take cold outreach or is that just a waste of my time? If it's not you, is there someone else I can connect with? Go back, follow up, keep a very detailed spreadsheet of like time, date, method of communication. I would do LinkedIn, social media, email, or phone. Ring the front desk at the firm and say, hey, look, I've been trying to reach X. Um, I haven't been able to. Would you mind leaving them a message just saying I'm trying to reach out? Uh, I also respect that this is not not appropriate way to do it. Is what, What's the best way to reach this person? Um, and it's just, it's kind of like one-on-one manners. It's like, be polite. Thank you very much. Even in the, even in the sense of getting a rejection, if they say not now, come back and say like, would you mind if I come back to you in the spring next year, you know, or early in the new year, March, April, and they might say, yeah, sure. Set a reminder in your calendar to follow them up. You just don't know. And you, you end up, it's like the party, right? Like you end up managing a hundred, 200 names in the database and something in that database of investors or, you know, friendly, friendly folks might be, Hey, I've been hearing about this person's business for the last 18 months. We've established trust. I like them. They're still going. I can help you. And you just don't know when, where or when, but don't take it personally. Everyone's dealing with tons of shit. (laughs) The sky's falling in. Things are great. They're on vacation. You just don't know. So I think don't give up, but be polite and, and just build, build rapport with people for being polite and, and friendly. And it goes a long way. And this might be like a stylistic follow-up, but do you find it's better to just kind of be like, hey, Alex, I'm Sam. I'm looking to raise 10K, whatever, whatever that number is, and just be straightforward with your ass? Or is it there a bit of a song and dance? Like what kind of, what's kind of worked better in your experience? Numbers can be alarming for people. Oh, it's way too little. I don't make that. Or so I think the first, the first thing you'd say, look, I, I, I'm aware that you've made investments before. Again, stylistic. 
you could do some A-B testing. I might be wrong. Like you could send somebody this direct ask and then send the exact email to somebody else and you get two different responses. So again, this is quite subjective. You need data. You know, in medicine, I think a, a doctor won't diagnose you without like a reference set of say 2,000 cases. They'd be able to say like statistically you're significant or you're not, you know. Um, and so you do really need tons and tons and tons of data points to help you figure out what is the right acquisition channel. and if you are sitting there like I've only spoken to three and I haven't got a reply, you ain't even started. You just have to go big. You have to get get names in Seattle, get names in Calgary, get names in Kelowna, get names in Portland, San Francisco investors, and just triangulate all of your responses in a big data set. Ideally, you've got a spreadsheet of a thousand outreaches, and then you're sitting sitting there and going, "No one replied." Okay, something's not working. Next thing, what am I going to do for the next thousand? I'm going to fly there and have coffees with people. I'm in town next week. Suddenly you've got 14 coffees lined up and everyone's happy to chat to you because you're actually here. You know, that, that, that could be just an example. For sure. And as a reminder for everybody, that's on top of building your business. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I mean, I, I flew to a bit of Hong Kong, flew down to Australia. I, like I would just go for two or three days and just be highly intentional. It's going to be, you know, all about, Shaking hands and telling people where, you know, I pitch. Um, but it's just, it all comes down to how, how much you really want something. What are you prepared to do for solid advice? Yeah. And as we're wrapping up, I just have a couple kind of more rapid fire questions. I'll just kind of get your Please. thoughts on. Um, but they're mostly about kind of the investment landscape. Um, yep. First, my general question, what kind of phase of fundraising for a startup do you think is most challenging right now? Is it pre-seed, seed, series A, B, late stage? Like what are, what are you kind of seeing? I think the dream is still early if the dream is, sorry, the dream is still good early. So very early stage can still be okay if it's reasonable terms, you know, reasonable valuations. You just, you, know, you need a bit of help. I think smaller amounts, like where you're raising 50 to 200 grand are kind of almost easier where you're just like, look, I just need some belief money right here to get me to proof. It's always harder when you've had the, you've spent the money and you've got no proof. So you want to have a good plan of how you're going to execute with that money. And then, you know, yeah, it's, um, people will feel opportunity right now. So valuations are definitely coming off, but don't, um, yeah, you, you can use instruments to help you address valuation like the safe and credible. Next question. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, that's the next question is like, what type of vehicles are you, are you, maybe you personally involved in or, or you're seeing what's out there with like, what's common. Is it convertible note? Is it safe? Is it yeah, price? I see. Um, because no one knows what the future holds and the valuations still safe and convertible notes are being used a lot where, you know, look, I'm happy to, if you believe, if we believe it and it, and it pays off, like we all get set at a good price, but you know, it's a loan really until, until you've got traction. So you just, yeah. The best place is obviously when you're in revenue and you've got more, you've got more bargaining power. Next question. Mm -hmm. I mean, on, on that same note, I mean, um, for an entrepreneur that's trying to decide which vehicle to use, like what, what's the kind of general process that, that you would go through as an entrepreneur, um, to decide which, which way? Um, sometimes you ain't got a choice. Sometimes you just like, what are you prepared to invest at? So you're taking their term sheet. I think. The more you can have um, flexibility and and uh, and control, um, yeah, 
you often don't have a choice if you're dealing with sophisticated. But if you're dealing with friends and family, you might, um, you might, yeah. There's different pros and cons. Look online and just have a quick look at like what's the benefits of a safe versus of a convertible note. I haven't personally used safes. I've used used convertible notes, um, but I've you know I've seen many safe term sheets come around. And I think last question here is like, what are kind of the major industries or areas that you're considering for yourselves for, for seed investment right now? Um, I am continuing to look at FinTech actually, um, for me personally, um, and, uh, just evaluating one investment at the moment. Gotcha. And does that, is more lead over to it all? No. Gotcha. No, I'm, I'm, Perfect. yeah, I, 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 um, I'm an early stage in, investor, um, in quandary.ai, which just raised eight, eight and a half million US out of, um, out of, uh, Fuse in San Francisco, um, sorry, in Seattle. Sorry, a phone call just came in, so I just had to, uh, no worries, no worries. Rejected. Yeah. And I, the phone call is right on time because, because we're, we're up in the hour. So thank you very much, Alex. Okay. I really appreciate it. We, we, we went through a ton of questions here. We did. Um, just on, just on Quandary, it's really worth checking out. They, they were, um, they, they, a self, you know, they got into revenue very quickly. I was actually their first customer, um, in another business and, um, they just, they just are solving a real, you know, they're building, uh, digital workers to help, you know, automate, um, automate their processes uh through the in, in the insurance industry and so like that's sort of like two it's it's all about timing insurance insurance tech and ai came together really well in a neat spot and they just got an unsolicited offer from fuse former cfo of microsoft uh and their team and uh, they just cut an eight and a half million us check um about three months ago very cool and for for listeners that may be listening to this later or you know members that are listening now What's the kind of best approach to contact you and what should they contact you for? Um, happy for you to reach out on LinkedIn. So Alex Benjamin, the email, it's there in the thread, alex at 4acap.com yeah. um, is, is definitely one that I think is connected to my LinkedIn account. Um, you'll be able to re- reach out. Um, I can't always help you, but certainly if there's something there that I can or a direction above to, um, to help out and probably in the next two weeks is, is like a good time to do that. Um, but even if it's longer, further, you know, further out, something resonates in six months' time, don't be hesitate to, to reach out and say, hey, um, I'd love your help. Is, can, can you help me? And I'll, I'll, I'll be true with you if I can or I can't. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. And great conversation. Great. Thank you. You too, Sam. Thanks to give me the opportunity to contribute. And I wish everyone very well. And uh, never give up. Just keep pushing if you really want it. Uh, you've got to work hard for it. Go for it. All right, everybody. We'll take care. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Launch AMA, a podcast that's part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Launch Academy HQ. You might also like our other podcasts, Bits and Bytes and Founder Journey. This episode was hosted by Sam Chan and produced by Samson Lee. Learn more about what we do here at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca. Consider joining our Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad.